And there was all this uncertainty just adding to it. And so my emotions were going up and down. And at the time, it was just all in, right? So I was just constantly trying to do whatever I could. And I, I didn't have the dance between the hustle and the, the mind. I didn't have the dance between uh, enjoying the journey and the pursuit of greatness. I just had the pursuit of greatness. And what I think this really has taught me is, is a lot about how we can get so caught up in what we're trying to do that we forget about who we're trying to be in the process. All right, welcome to The Path Distilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. My co-host is Lauren Tashman. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Path Distilled. And we're excited today. We have Jake Kelfer. He's the founder of Professional Basketball Combine. He's the author of Elevate Beyond and Elevate Your Network. And he's a business coach of entrepreneurs. Thanks for joining us today, Jake. Hey, happy to be here. Super excited to, to talk about The Path Distilled. Yeah, and so, Jake, very cool how we just kind of connected on Instagram, right? And once you told me a little bit about who you are and your story, I thought, be awesome to get you on here and tell us a little bit more. So why don't you wind us all the way back to the beginning of your story and tell us, you know, how'd you get into sport? Sure. So I'll take you all the way back. You asked for it. So I'm going to take you all the way back. Um, when I was growing up, there, there were three main areas of my life and it was sports, academics, and uh, sports, academics, and family. And for me, I was very blessed, and this will be a recurring theme, is I was very blessed to have two amazing parents that loved each other and that loved me and my brother and supported us. So that was really important to me growing up that I was always trying new things, that I was always um, learning lessons from them, always trying to continue to, to level up my game. From an academic side is I always have had this desire inside of me to want more. I've always wanted to achieve more, to be more, to do more, to give more. And I've always really, really wanted people to come with me on this journey. And so academics was a way for me to do really well, but then teach people. I started tutoring in high school and I would tutor people that were, you know, in my class even, but also that were younger because I wanted them to, to see what it felt like to, um, you know, achieve, achieve greatness in their own way. And then sports. I mean, I, I love sports. And from the time I was five years old to the time I was 18, I played basketball, baseball, and football, and my dad literally never missed a single basketball game that I ever had throughout the duration of, of my, my childhood career. And so as I got older, I knew that it was going to be, how do I combine sports and business? How do I put those two pieces together? And when I graduated high school, I was kind of, I had a decision of whether I wanted to pursue like division two basketball, division two, II, division three basketball, or go to USC for academics. And USC was my dream school. So once I got in, it was like, I'm going. There was no questions about it, right? I was like, I'll figure out how to pay for it later because that was going to be a whole other story. And so when I get there, I start studying business administration. I was minoring in sports media because I thought in my mind, if I can't be a professional athlete, well, I can represent the professional athletes and be a sports agent. And so that's what I initially thought was, was going to be my path. And as I get ready to graduate from USC, I've done everything I could. I've, I've built the network that I, the best that I could. I've gone all the resume workshops. I've done all the networking seminars. Um, I've done all the mock interviews. The agency that was going to hire me goes on a hiring freeze. And I have to really sit down and say, okay, what is going to be the next best course of action that's going to get me closest to the dream that I have? 
And at this moment, this is where I start to see other offers come in, but they weren't my dream offer. They weren't something that was going to get me out of bed. And so I asked for advice. And a lot of people at this point said, take the job, take the job and you can go do whatever you want later. But I knew that if I did that, I'd be living someone else's dream, not my own dream. And so I actually turned down all of those job offers. And technically, I graduated USC without a full-time job. I was still interviewing with what would become my first job with the Los Angeles Lakers, which for me was my childhood dream, my favorite sports team that I, that I could ever be with. And I ended up working for the team. And while I was there, I was trying to figure out, how, okay, how do I connect these dots? What do I do next? And had an experience where I really realized that I wanted to, to, to give more. I wanted to give people the same feeling of appreciation, the same feeling that like you can do it as some people were giving me, but also as Kobe gave to the fans in his farewell tour. That to me was so amazing to see what, what influence somebody could have over someone else's life in a positive way. And so I ended up writing my first book. And when, the, when Kobe retired that year, I retired, I launched my book and I started my career as a speaker and author and, and kept it going. Shortly after that, I wanted to, to, to bring it all together. And I said, how do I combine this love of helping people, motivating people, speaking with basketball? And that's when I created the Professional Basketball Combine, which was my first major breakthrough of really doing everything I wanted to do which is where we ended up helping 24 guys in our first year. We ended up helping 24 players uh, achieve their dream of playing professional basketball. So we'd invite them to an event, NBA scouts would be there, and it was an awesome way to really um, catapult their career, which is all about the one thing that I always say, which is elevate. And that's led to so many more things, another book, traveling to China as a speaker, helping now over 70 players, and now coaching entrepreneurs and coaches on how to grow and scale their businesses so that they can create their own path and live the life they've always wanted to live. So that is from the beginning all the way to where we're at now. And I'm sure you have a bunch of different questions here, but <laughs> that is a little bit about the, the journey. So I'm curious, what were those, uh, what were your days like when you were working for the Lakers? So they, they were awesome. I mean, I mean, truly told it was awesome. I mean, you gotta understand like my parents in the house that I grew up in, they have a room, it's called the Lakers room. Okay, and in this Lakers room, <laughs> it's painted purple and gold. Now the house isn't painted purple and gold, just this room is painted purple and gold. There's memorabilia on all the walls. We have literally Sports Illustrated of every single cover that, that the Lakers have been on. I mean, it's decked out, signed memorabilia, ticket stubs from the 60s. I mean, you name it, it's in this room. So this and, wasn't just your dream job. It was also sounds like your parents' dream job. For yeah, you. I mean, my, my dad's my dad's a big Laker fan. I mean, it was definitely cool that that we had this. Um, and so, so working for the for Lakers was really cool. And I was in corporate partnerships, so it was a really cool blend because I was able to be on the business side and the basketball side in, in a way where we got to do a lot of activations with the players because anytime there was a partnership agreement or a meet and greet with different partners, we were the we were the people that executed on that. It was also really cool because we were part of any of the charity events. So anytime there was a charity event that was uh, partnered with a partner that they had, we got to go to those events and be a part of it. And for me, that give back mission, it's just so exciting. And everything I do in my life, there's always a give back element because it just makes life so much more fun. And if we can give on our, on our rise, we're always going to be coming from that giving mentality. And so um, there was a moment though in, in my Lakers career that, that really changed everything for me. And are you guys familiar with Jerry West? Do you know who Jerry West is? Mm -hmm. 
So Jerry West, for those of you that don't know who are listening to this, he is uh, the guy the NBA made their logo after. He is a Lakers legend. He is a Hall of Fame player. Now I'm working my job and, and one of my responsibilities was picking the contestants. So I would pick the contestants for like the half court shot or for the special meet and greet or the skills challenge or whatever it was, right? And while I was doing that, I was getting ready to go down to the court to take our contestant out. I get in the elevator. Now it's just fitting that my word is elevate because it all started here in an elevator and I'm in an elevator. And right as the doors are about to close, a hand walks in, a hand puts, goes through the doors and the doors start to retract. And all of a sudden Jerry West walks in. Now here I am a 22 year old, my heart's pounding. I'm like, this is so cool, right? Like this is unbelievable. Like I'm seeing a guy that's literally plastered all over the Laker room that I grew up in. And the person working the elevator has no clue who this guy is. And he says, excuse me, sir, what floor do you want to go to? Jerry looks at him and it's like, event level, court level, right? Like he's got courtside seats. I mean, come on, it's Jerry West. And the person working the elevator says, well, excuse me, sir, do you have a credential? And Jerry looks at him and I'm like, oh my God, did he really just see it? And Jerry looks at him and says, no, I don't, I don't have a credential. I'm, I'm, um, I don't have a credential, but do you know who I am? The elevator attendant looks at Jerry and says, I'm sorry, sir, I don't know who you are, but I'm gonna have to ask you to step off because this young man pointing at me has work to do. And in my mind, I'm like, he just told Jerry West to get off the elevator because I have work to do, right? <laughs> and I'm like, this is insane. So Jerry's about to get off. And all of a sudden, I just, I don't know why, but I, I gathered the courage and I go, wait, 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 wait. He's with me. He's my guest. I'll escort him down. And the person working the elevator looks at me and he goes, are you sure? And I'm like, let me look at Jerry. So I look at Jerry and I'm like, you sure? <laughs> and Jerry gives me the nod of approval. So I turn to the elevator and I give him the same nod of approval. And you guys, the next 14 seconds, Greatest elevator ride I've ever had. As we come out of the elevator, as we come out of the elevator, I'm wondering, is Jerry going to be pissed that I had to stand up for him? Is he going to be pissed that the guy didn't know who he was? What is Jerry's reaction about to be? But right as we're about to separate and go our, go our separate ways, Jerry sticks out his hand, shakes my hand, and he says, thank you. I appreciate what you just did for me. And it was in that moment that I realized one of the most fundamental truths of us as human beings is that people are people. And we all have the same basic desires in our life, to be loved, to be heard, to be complimented, feel that we matter, to feel that we belong. And in that very moment, Jerry West made me feel like the most important person in the room. I realized in that time that I wanted to give that same feeling to every person that I could. Now you fast forward a little bit. I start to live my life through that lens. I start to ask myself, what, what do I know? How can I help people? That led me to the book, that led me to the combine, that led me to speaking, that led me to everything else that we do. And this is what we call the feeling of elevation. The feeling of elevation is when you can interact with somebody and elevate them one step higher than where you found them. And when you can do that, you create a chain reaction that enables people to be more happy, that enables people to find deeper meaning, that enable people to live their purpose, that enable people to believe that they can live the life they were meant to live. And that all happened with that one experience. And it's amazing when we look at our lives to realize the, the impact one person has on ourselves, the impact our words can have on somebody else. You know, and I'll ask you both this real quick here is, have you ever received a compliment, okay? And anyone that's listening, you can, you can, you can think about this too. Have you ever received a compliment that when you did, it kind of just put you on cloud nine? Your feet were a little bit lighter, you started feeling like, oh yeah, this shirt's looking good, right? <laughs> Whatever it was. And on the flip side, 
Have you ever had someone give you an insult and that was the only thing you could think about for the rest of the day? And maybe even a few weeks later, the next time you put on that shirt, you were like, I don't know about this shirt anymore, right? <laughs> or whatever it is in, in the situation that's in your mind. Our words and our actions have such incredible power. And sometimes we forget that it's beyond the surface. Sometimes we have to realize we don't know what's going on with someone else. But when we take a second to ask, when we take a second to give, when we take a second to compliment, we can go underneath the surface and get to know that person for who they truly are and be able to serve them the best way possible. Nice. And so, sorry to interrupt Lauren. Uh, us, <laughs> tell us she's about to ask. Uh, so take us, tell us a little bit about how the, uh, the combine got started. What was that like for you? Yeah, so, so after, after the Lakers, I had gotten my first book going, and it was great. I was traveling all over as a speaker, and I was like, this is awesome. I love this, and I'm going to keep doing this, but what else can I do to, to work in the game of basketball? Now, if you remember, I wanted to be an agent, and I was like, okay, what's the path to being an agent? And I had, I had done all the research previously of what it takes, but I hadn't found my, my in, and I hadn't found it at the way that I wanted to, okay? And that led me to ask this question of, of like, how can I become the most valuable person in the industry at 24 years old that is a, technically a free agent? How can I become the most valuable person in the industry that agencies are going to be wanting to hire? And I was like, what if I created a secondary NBA combine, a secondary event for the NBA draft? I was like, if I do this, I'm going to be able to get to know all the agents not only that, but I'm going to get to know the agents as potential customers, which means I'll get to see which agents I like, which get to see which agents I want to work with, right? Because I get to see their styles. I'll be one of the only people in the country to have a relationship with all 30 NBA teams. And I'll have relationships with the top media in, uh, the, in the NBA space. And so I was like, let's make this happen. And so I went on a five-month journey from the idea to, to the launch of the Pro Basketball Combine and literally networked, connected, found dots that should not have been connected, brought them together, found people, invited everyone I knew to be a part of this, got rejected hundreds of times, was like freaking out, was crying, was super high. It was, it was all, all these emotions. And we finally end up launching it. Um, and I was like, this is going to be my, my way to, to make my, my impact on the basketball space at a young age. And it went off without a hitch. And the first year we were able to fill up, we had one spot left uh, and that was because of a cancellation. Um, but we were able to get all of the players that came. They all got jobs after the NBA teams who attended loved it. We had over half the NBA in year one. We had some of the big basketball outlets cover it. And like, it was one of those things where you realize when you create something that solves a problem for someone else. And when you create something that, that does good for somebody else, you become very fulfilled. And I knew that once we had that, I was onto something. And I decided to give up being an agent in order to keep building the combine and help more and more players. Um, and now we've helped over 70 players sign their first contract. And we have players in um, over 30 countries around the globe, which they've probably all the countries that your podcast has been heard in because <laughs> you guys are global. So, um, but yeah, we've had players all over and it's, and it's incredible to see the athletes be able to come into their own and to take it even one step further, we've been able to give internships to 
20 to 30 people that have wanted to work in sports. We've been able to give them their first opportunity, their first breakthrough. And now they message me and they're like, Jake, that was the only interview or the only internship that I even talked about on my full-time job. We had someone, he, he, he went to law school and that was the only internship they even asked about. And it's so cool to, that we could be part of these people's journeys. So um, the combine has really changed everything uh, for me uh, because it taught me so much and, and allowed me to grow as an entrepreneur. I'm curious about the highs and lows you spoke about, oh. <laughs> especially because I always think it's interesting, right? When someone has come from a full-time job, right? You've got the, you're, you're working for somebody, you've got a salary, you talked about it like your dream job, and then you decide to take this leap and go on this emotional roller coaster that is being an entrepreneur. So tell us a little bit more about that shifting into that and what that roller coaster has been like for you. Oh, so I always knew I was going to have my own business at some point. I just thought that you had to do it the traditional route, which is mm -hmm. get a job, work a lot of time, make a lot of money, and then go do what you want to do. I just decided to flip the script early. And part of that is because both my parents are entrepreneurial. My mom had had her own clinical social work practice and was a professor. My dad has had his own business for as long as I've been alive. And so between the tutoring when I was in high school, trying a business when I was in college, I had had some experience of how to make money on my own. And so I knew I could do it. And I also knew, and this is one of the biggest things that, that anybody could ever have, is I knew I had people that were going to love me no matter if I, I succeeded or failed. That the, the amount of money that I made or the amount of success that I had, none of that was going to matter to them. They were always going to be there for me. And that's something that um, we all need is that feeling to know that we're supported and that, that when people believe in us, it makes us feel invincible. And so when I went out there and when I started the combine specifically, I put up a lot of money to get it off the ground. I didn't have a lot of money to get it off the ground. And so I said, you know what, let's go big or let's go home. And if this flopped, not only was I going to be out of a lot of my money, but I was also not going to have the credibility I needed to continue working in sports, or I was going to lose all my legitimacy already at 24 and I'd have to rebuild from the ground up. And so when we started, I mean, it was, it was a grind. It was a lot of work. It was me calling these agents. And as I'm sure, as you guys know, or if you've seen Jerry Maguire, you have the agents that are intense. It's cutthroat. These agents are slamming the phone on my face. They're like, this idea is never going to work. They're like, I've been around for longer than you've been alive. There's no way we're, you're going to make this happen. And that was hard. It was really hard, but I also believed in this and it was bigger than just me. And I kept going and I kept going and I kept going. And then I got our first guy to sign up. I got our first agent. He had two players. And I was like, let's go, right? I was so excited. And then a day later, the, the, the agent would say, oh, our guy can't come. And I'd be like, no way. Or I'd get a guy that, that would commit five players, then bail out because of some other thing. Or I'd get a team that say they're in and then out. And there was all this uncertainty just adding to it. And so my emotions were going up and down. And at the time, it was just all in, right? So I was just constantly trying to do whatever I could. And I I didn't have the dance between the hustle and the, the mind. I didn't have the dance between uh, enjoying the journey and the pursuit of greatness. I just had the pursuit of greatness. And what I think this really has taught me is, is a lot about how we can get so caught up in what we're trying to do that we forget about who we're trying to be in the process. Mm -hmm. 
And when we can live in the moment and see it as it is and be aware and, and, and actually just acknowledge and see it, whatever it is, not good or bad, but just see it as it is, we're able to become more present. We're able to make better decisions. We're able to know where to go and we're able to do that without um, overworking ourselves or putting ourselves into a place that we start to despise what we thought we originally loved doing. And it's been, uh, it's been a lot of ups and downs from that point, but that I think has been pivotal for me in my growth uh, and, and for a lot of our clients who now are able to work with because I've made those mistakes and I've seen what it can do and I've now seen what the, what the opposite looks like of how beautiful it really is. In relate, um, and sometimes it's worse getting the uh, yeses and then the noes than it is just to get the no, right? <laughs> yeah. Like cancellations. Yeah. Um, so another thing that reminded me of, and Lauren's going to get tired of hearing this story, but I'm working on a, it's been postponed because of the pandemic, but there's another project that's music related and it's a documentary film. And one of the consulting producers, I was really stressed, similar to what you were talking about, just pursuing, pursuing, couldn't even have a snack without worrying about what was about to happen. And particularly stressful day, he just came up and said, uh, just focus on the story. Just let everything else go. Just tell yeah. the story. And, I, and when you said that, it reminded me a lot of that situation. Uh, so how did you climb yourself? Uh, you said you were getting, just getting a few clients and getting that snowball rolling. Is that how you kind of worked out of that space? Yeah. And, and I, I had to learn how to sell quickly and how to sell and negotiate with agents whose job <laughs> is to sell and negotiate off millions of dollars. And I had to figure out, okay, if I'm going to make this happen, um, I got to figure out a way to get in the door with these people. I got to figure out how to connect the dots even better. And, you know, fortunately there were a few people early on from the media side that believed in what we were trying to build and they made some great introductions. They started doing some publicity around it. And, um, I was so grateful, um, that it ended up turning into an entire partnership with those guys on, a, on an additional endeavor, which was just amazing. And sometimes we don't know what greatness can come from. Um, but until we actually take the action. And so for me, as, as we kept going, it would be client, we'd get, a, we'd get a player to commit, then we'd get a team to commit. And in the first year, my whole goal was just, let's just execute this. Let's just make sure it goes well. We don't need the bells and the whistles. We need to make sure these players get exposure that leads to jobs. If we can do that, we have done our job in year one. And so it was constantly, um, you know, a battle up until the day of, I mean, I, I'll tell you another story here. It's the day of, I, I've flown to Florida. We're on the campus. Players are arriving. And literally we get a call from an agent that says, my guy's not coming anymore. He can't come. I'm like, no way. Because we have a certain amount of players. So it fits a certain, there's a whole structure behind mm -hmm. it. And I was like, that's, that's unbelievable. That's going to throw, that's, I started panicking. And I'm, I'm outside my mind right now, okay? <laughs> I get a call about two hours later from an agent. Jake, I got a guy, okay, different agent. I got a guy, I need him, I, how do I get him in your event? Like, I, I need him, here's who he is, and so I ask him all the questions, because I can't have some Joe Schmo come into play, I need to make sure he's legit. And he was right, he was right on the fringe. And he's like, he can't be there, to, he can't be there tonight, but he's gonna drive all night, he'll pull an all-nighter, he'll be there tomorrow, just make sure he gets in with whatever he can. And I was like, whoo, you know, like I got so excited, because I was like, it, it's crazy, but you talk about emotional swings, that was like 10 hours and it, my mind was blown. And, uh, but you, you know, it, it all works out, right? It all works out. And, 
you know, sometimes we think the biggest things are really not that big. You know, it's big for you because it's your world. But in the grand scheme of things, people will understand, people will, life will go on. You know, we're still going to wake up tomorrow and breathe, um, hopefully, of course. But those are just, those are just some of the things. So it's, uh, it's, it's awesome to, uh, to, to see those stories uh, and, and look back on them. And how has the event progressed? You mentioned kind of goals for year one was sounded fairly simple. Just make sure these guys are essentially taken care of by this event. How has that, is that still kind of your core focus? Has oh yeah. It shifted at all? No, that, I mean, that, that hands down is, is the core focus, right? That's, that's the result we provide to these players is look, you come to our event, you're going to increase your chance of uh, getting on, getting on an NBA roster or make more money overseas, right? Like you come to the event, you're going to get this exposure and opportunity. And just, just this, uh, a couple months ago, we actually had a player who came to our 2019 event. He went back to, back to college after the feedback he got following all the NC2A rules, compliance, all that jazz. He ended up getting drafted this year as the 30th pick in the draft, our first draft pick. And this has opened up huge doors. We've been able to uh, get partners and we've been able to create extra curriculum. So we actually had a workshop series for these athletes where it wasn't just on court stuff, but it was off the court stuff. It was how do you interview better? It was managing your finance. It was social media and branding because it's more than just a game of basketball. It's a lifestyle. And we wanted to do whatever we could to give these guys the best chance of success in life. We added on top of that a program for people who wanted to get into basketball, people like me who wanted their first big break. And so we created a program called Basketball 101. I teamed up with the two media guys that believed in me from day one, and we created an entire curriculum to invite people. They can come and be like a pseudo intern and take part of this program and get exposure to executives and decision makers. And that's led to internships alone um, right after that. So it started with just, let's just get the players there but it became so much bigger. Um, but it's all come down to, to, to one thing. And, and I've mentioned this one thing a few times, this, this, this elevation, right? This feeling of getting to the next level. And when we started this, I had one employee that came to the event who was over 30 years old. Every single other person that I brought on my staff, that was my trainers, that were my interns, that were my directors of scouting, every single person was in their 20s. Because I wanted to show and I wanted to give people an opportunity to say, we don't have to have 30 years of experience to, to do a great job. I want you guys to be here because you believe in what we're doing and you're all in and you're willing to do whatever it takes to make this work. And that was something to me that was so powerful, but it also produced incredible results because everybody was fully invested. There were no egos. Everybody was fighting for their next spot, whether it was as a player or whether it was as a coach, whether it was as an intern, we were all trying to elevate to that next level. Have you had any, anything that surprised you that you've learned about either the players or the league or anything that's come up? T tons of things. I don't know if I'm at liberty to share some of those things. But, uh, I've, there's been a ton of things that I've learned about, about the league and, and the players. And, you know, what, what's funny is that when, it, when you look at it all is – there are so many overlaps between uh, the NBA and, and players at that level with business men and women and, and people all across the world. And some of the things that are most important are, and I'll just jump into this here, and, and some of the things that are the biggest overlap is, are you willing to be coachable in your life? 
Are you willing to receive feedback? And are you willing to take that feedback and implement it to become better? The best players are able to take the feedback, learn, implement it quickly, and be able to come back and showcase how they do it. For some players, this is over the course of a season. For some players, it's over the course of a week because they, that's all they have before they get cut, right? And so, so you have that. Um, one of the greatest things that you can do as someone who's trying to level up is ask great questions. Oftentimes when we ask questions, we ask questions that, that, we, that, that give us answers that we kind of expect or that we are looking for. We need to ask great questions, which gives us answers that we actually need. And that is a skill that can be developed. And you can ask great questions. Another thing that's really uh, comparable between athletes and high performers is the ability to listen. Most people listen with the intent to respond, right? Have we ever, and anyone that's listening, you probably had this, where you meet somebody, they give you your name, and five seconds later, you totally forget their name. Why do we forget their name? Because we're so focused on us saying our name and who we are that we don't even really listen to what they're saying. But instead, if we were to listen with the intent to validate, understand, and process, we're going to hear what they're saying, we're going to consume the information, and then we're going to speak after that, right? When you think about the question, how are you? We often say, good, how are you? Good. And the conversation is over. And more times than not, you're walking past each other before you've even finished it. You're saying, good, how are you? To the car in front of you because the person's already walked by you. If we take a second to actually listen, we may find that there's so much more to people than just what we see or just what we think. So those are a couple key commonalities between high performers as well as like top athletes um, that are super relevant and super applicable to how we can continue to elevate our lives in our own ways. So it sounds like a bit what you spend some time with your coaching clients on how to tell us a little bit more about how that uh, evolved for you and how you got on that path. So as I was building the combine, I was still speaking, I was still writing, I was still doing these things and everything was going well. I mean, I had two different businesses, both continuing to rise up and I was finding a way to do it all and still have a, still have a great life, you know, like still enjoy myself. And people started asking me, how'd you do it? How was I doing it? How are you connecting with all these people? And they started asking me all these questions and I was just giving advice away. And then I started to coach them. And one thing led to the next and I decided to really take some time and create a intense coaching program to take people through this process of going from idea to 10K months, right? Like literally bridging that gap for people that really wanted to start their own business um, and just creating the processes that I've always talked about and just putting it all down into, into one singular program. And now that is one of our core focuses, especially during coronavirus where I can't go speak in, in, you know, at big stages. We, we couldn't have our event this year, the combine. So we've really doubled down on that. We've helped so many great people across a variety of industries. And it's, it just brings light to me because every win in our business, we call it a triple win. It's a win for us because we're getting a client. We're getting a customer. We're going to share our knowledge. That's so fun for us. It's a win for them because their lives are going to be changed. They're going to make hopefully more money than they've ever made in, their, in this current role. They're going to have the path. And then it's a win for everybody that's impacted because of the work we do together. And that is, to me, one of the greatest things we can do is finding ways to create the triple win. And I love winning. If you can't tell, I'm a competitor and I love winning. <laughs> and so the more wins we can have in, in our life, the better that is for everybody involved because hopefully those people continue to pay it forward and then you impact another person. And it eventually, you know, 
uh, continues to, to go down that, that rabbit hole. I've heard other entrepreneurs say that when they were much younger, and you might have alluded to this earlier, but they, and I think you did say this, but uh, when did you start recognizing that you, you mentioned uh, recognizing that you wanted to be an entrepreneur at, entrepreneur at a really young age? Do you really remember a pinpoint, a moment you can pinpoint that that really resonated with you that you were going to do this? I mean, I think like, you know, even as an agent, it's pretty entrepreneurial job. So I think like, even though what I thought I wanted as my job, it was going to be an entrepreneurial role. Um, but, you know, I look back and like the first like official way, like, sure, there was the car. I'm sure I did cards and candy. Like I was always, I was always doing different things to make a buck. Right. But tutoring in high school was like my first way of like, I have a service that I'm really, that I'm really focused on. It's valuable. You need it. And I started to do it and then I would get referrals, offer discounts, like referral. Like I started to like kind of have the, the program down. And as a kid in high school, you know, making a hundred bucks for four hours of work, like I was $25 an hour as a tutor. And like these, these kids' parents were happy to pay. It wasn't, they were paying me, but that was the coolest thing ever. I was like, oh my gosh, I worked four hours this week and I made a hundred bucks. And I had friends who were working, you know, jobs when we weren't playing sports out working, you know, three times that much to get the same amount of money. And it was like, okay. I'm doing this from the comfort of my own house with people that I like. You're doing this with customers that you don't want to be working with, where you don't like your colleagues and you don't even want to be spending times. There's something here. And then when I got to college, I started, I started my, my first like official business that was filed and, and regulated. Right. And uh, it's just kept going, going from there. What was the experience like at USC? Was it freeing or was it constraining for you? That's a great question. As I get older, I look back on that experience in so many different ways. Now, when I say as I get older, I'm, I'm turning 28 in a couple of days. So I'm not like looking back from, from like 30 years down the road or 20 years down the road, like I'm five years out of college. But um, you know, I, I look at it, I look at it and it's one of those things where it was the greatest experience of my life. I've developed the best relationships from there. That being said, there are some aspects that I'm like, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And then most importantly, and, and, and this is something that I don't talk about a ton, but I think it's really important to note is sometimes we're put in situations and if we allow the environment to dictate who we are, we can fall prey to that situation. And what I mean by that is USC is known for money. Everybody has money. Now, I grew up in a, in a middle-class family and I thought we were the richest people I'd ever met. Like I, I, I was the happiest kid growing up. I mean, we were able to get pizzas for my friends and my family. Like that was the coolest thing ever. Like I had a bunch of people over all the time. Like it was great. I thought I was rich. I get to USC. There's another meaning for the word rich. Okay. Like I'm, I'm seeing friends at 18 going out for a hundred dollars sushi dinners. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I don't, I don't, that can't do that. Like I'm over here, you know, just making the college, college budget work. Right. And you start to learn that uh, if you start to value your self-worth based on metrics that don't actually matter, AKA based off other people's, the amount of money you think other people have, the amount of followers other people have, um, the vacations other people are highlighting, we start to go down a, a path that, that isn't best suited for our own growth. And that was the hardest thing for me because after USC, I'd been so programmed and I started seeing it a little bit differently that then when I started my business, 
and I saw people on these cool vacations. I saw people doing these things and, and posting on the highlight reel. And I was over here eating PB and J and, and uh, dairy free <laughs> mac and cheese, you know, like I'm over here, like, gosh, is this worth it? Should I be doing this? And it became hard because I was comparing myself. And by comparing myself, I wasn't able to be present. I was only so focused on trying to get what I thought other people had. And I think that that is such a important lesson for us to learn is to not compare ourselves to what we think success should be. And rather we need to define success for ourselves and be proud to pursue that definition because we all want something different. Now we may all want happiness. We may all want freedom, but our approach to getting it is going to look a lot different. And so for me, you know, you asked me, how was that experience at USC? It was freeing. It was restraining. It was all of the things that I've ever had, but it's also been an incredible, incredible experience to look back on and be incredibly proud of what I've been able to do because of it and in spite of it. I like that answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about something you mentioned before, but relates to, to what you were just talking about, about some of the no's you've gotten. Obviously you have a a big, you're very purpose-driven, right? And uh, as you said, very competitive, but what was it like when you got some of those no's and what led you to keep pursuing things despite that? There was no option. <laughs> I could not <laughs> allow the no's to dictate if I was going to move forward or not. Mm -hmm. there, there, was no, there was no option to. Um, but I also started to see I, I, I struggled with it at first where I thought that like a maybe was actually close to a yes, okay? But what I quickly realized was that a no or a yes was infinitely better than a maybe because the maybes kept you in there. It kept you dragging along and kept you on the hook. But the minute I was able to turn that maybe into a yes or that maybe into a no, I was able to keep going. And that was when I was building the combine, something that I really had to learn was that I want answers. And what that means is that I have to get better at asking questions, which means I have to get better at understanding what they're looking for so that I could deliver for them, right? And so no's wasn't an option to allow the no's to defeat me. Also, the more no's I got, the more I wanted to show people that it's possible. I wanted to tell these people, watch me. I want you to say, you can't do it, Jake. And I'm gonna say, yes, I can. Because I've always been an underdog being the smallest guy on the varsity basketball team in high school, I was always battling. I've always battled. And I always want to keep that. Like that is a fire that is inside of all of us. And oftentimes when we get a no, we can allow that to, to eliminate the fire or we can allow that to ignite the fire. And I like to just ignite the fire when you get those no's because every no is closer than a yet, closer to a yes. And in everything that we do in this life, there will always be no's. You will never have a life where you get only yeses. <laughs> They're just, it's just not the way your life works. And when you're connecting with people, especially when you're selling to people, especially there are always going to be people that say no. There's always going to be people that reject your idea. There's always going to be people that don't want your product. There's always going to be people that say no, thank you. That's fine. Because guess what? There's 8 billion people in the world. <laughs> and depending on what it is that we're doing, there's always somebody that wants to work with you. There's always somebody that wants to date you. There's always somebody that is going to say yes. And those are the people that you want to spend your time with anyways. And so what I would say is, as we put all this together, the ultimate lesson here is realizing we don't need everybody to like us. We don't need everybody to say yes to us. 
We just need the right people to love us and say yes to us. Nice. And you sure you're you're still in your twenties? Yeah, yeah. very wise. <laughs> I'm I'm sure I'm sure I've I've read quite a few books similar to 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 you guys. I'm sure. Something we kind of always ask our our guests is, what do you think your keys to success are? Mm, my keys to success. I got a couple here. Um, I call this the ACE method. The ACE method is a three prong method, and the A stands for action. Now, my dad, when I was releasing my first book, he told me because he knew what my ambitions were. He knew I wanted to do everything that I'm currently doing and everything that I still want to do. And he said that there is no shortcut to that, Jake. There is no shortcut. You can look at Tony Robbins, but that is years and years of work, right? He didn't start as Tony Robbins. Malcolm Gladwell didn't start as Malcolm Gladwell. All these people don't start there. He said, but here's the truth. There is one shortcut. The only shortcut in life is to start now. And if you start now, great things will happen. And that has stuck with me forever. And so the first, the first pillar of success is action, taking positive and intentional action. The second key to success is connection, authentic connection. Have you ever gone on a date without another person? <laughs> No. And I'm sure, sure somebody might say date. yes to that question, but. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and sure, look, we, we could go on a solo date or anything like that. But like, you know, and I, I saw this TikTok of this guy who married his, his imaginary friend. Like that's, that's, that's all good. And, and, and that's all good. But typically uh, for, for the majority of the world, we're going to need someone else there. Have you ever made a sale in business without another person? No. Connection is hands down the most foundational element to life. And the more we're able to connect, the more we're able to achieve the ultimate dream, lifelong happiness and fulfillment, freedom. Mm -hmm. And connection is our key and is our vehicle to achieving that. It's our key to growing our businesses. It's our key to developing uh, meaning and purpose with other people. It's our key to having fun and experiences, which are the things that we remember the most about our lives when it's all said and done. So connection, authentic connection, being who you are, expressing that, being proud of it, and going after the people and the things that you really want, uh, through connection. And then the third part, this is one of my most favorite pieces of the ACE method. It's the E and the E is enjoyment. I'm a huge believer that if we don't enjoy the journey and the pursuit of success, we'll never actually achieve it. We have to enjoy ourselves in the process. And when you can have intentional and positive action, authentic connection and life enjoyment, you will be successful in your life and you will be able to achieve whatever you define success as. That last part I think is uh, so interesting and you use the word enjoyment, which I think is important because I've worked with an athletes who are like, I just want to have fun. It's like, well, that's different, right? Fun is different, I think, than enjoyment. And our mentor, Anders Ericsson, used to talk about his definition of deliberate practice was something that mm. wasn't inherently enjoyable, but was very intentional and purposeful. Right. So even though we might not be loving it in the moment, we understand it's getting us something useful. It sounds like that's what you're really taking into that definition there of mm. how you're thinking about that E part of your model. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about it too, is like, look, we got one life to live and we don't know when that life ends. We have no idea. But if you are able to do certain things and you have the thoughts, you got to go do it. There, there is not always tomorrow. 
And, uh, you know, I learned that when one of my good friends passed away from cancer my first week of college. Um, uh, he was on our basketball team and, and he got cancer and he couldn't go to college the traditional way. And I've learned that, and, you know, that's why my colors are neon green. His favorite color was neon green. That's why my second book, there's 25 Kelf keys because 25 was his number on the basketball court. I think if we have this one life to live, it's our responsibility to enjoy it and to do the things that matter uh, for ourselves and for the people that, that we're around. And so I, I, like, I like what you said about it. And I do think that enjoyment is uh, a much deeper concept than just a, a surface level, uh, have some fun, right? I was curious when you said that, if you had an experience either yourself, but um, that was life-changing, but it sounds like it was through that experience that because not everyone develops that. And once that flip has been switched, or that switch has been flipped, uh, people tend to have that outlook. I found it's, why did we wait? Uh, why wait and take the bull by the horns? So we, a lot of the reason that we developed this podcast is the classic debate about, as Lauren alluded to, how much role practice or environment versus genetics or nature what role does that play in success was one of the mm. key questions that was underlying and there's extremes there's it's all nature it's all nurture but in your experience with USC and business and the leagues that you've worked with where do you fall on that uh, spectrum or that continuum mm. this is get this is where you get deep right this, this is where you, <laughs> this is where you get deep I'll, I'll keep it I'll keep it uh, a fairly light on this I'm I'm I believe in both, right? I believe that my environment plays, has played a huge role, but I also believe that environment's not the only factor that's gonna be able to dictate what you're capable of. There are a lot of our athletes that have come from terrible environments, terrible situations that were nothing like mine whatsoever, but yet have been able to overcome the odds and play in the NBA and make more money than their family has ever seen. I believe in people and I believe that people have an opportunity to be able to do incredible things. It's easier when there are other people that support that one person. It's harder and very hard to do it on your own. But I think there is a nice blend between the two. Um, and of course, there's so many uh, extra circumstances around this, right? And different demographics and, and all of these factors that play into this. Um, and there are some that I will never just, I just won't understand because that's not that how it wasn't my experience or that isn't what I, what I went through. And so I think there's a combination of, of both. And I think in my situation, uh, explicitly in my experience in life, a lot of it has been a combination based off internal things, extra people, supporting environment, um, where I surround myself, all those different elements have all played a role into it. Um, as well as my internal ambition and my own desire, regardless of any of those other things. Um, I think it's just uh, a little combo for me. So to spin this onto you even more, what do you think are some of the things that you've learned about yourself up to this point? So many things. <laughs> I've learned so many things because I, just like I said, one of the big things that I think a lot of the best athletes do is they're coachable. They take feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Now, truthfully, feedback sometimes is hard for me to take because, because it hurts, right? It's, it, especially when people call you out on, on certain things. And so I've learned, I've learned a lot, um, you know, and one of those being that, that as somebody who's very ambitious, I can be very go, go, go. And one of the things that 
my mom has always taught me, and she always used to text me this before basketball games, was live in the moment and enjoy the journey. And so that's something along this process that has changed my life, okay? Another thing that I've learned is I love when people like me. I do. I, I think we all want people to like us, right? But what I've really learned is as I grow businesses, if you, if you try to please and serve everybody, the actual impact that you're going to have is going to be exponentially smaller. Instead, serve people that you can and you know you can help and be there. And those are the people that are going to make you more fulfilled. Those are the people that are going to take more action. Those are the people that are going to see better results. And then you're going to be able to expand and people are going to talk about you and what you do and your impact's going to grow. That's something that I've really, really learned is that I don't need, and I mentioned this earlier, I don't need everybody to like me. I need the right people to love me. Um, because people always tell me, Jake, you talk too fast. You have too much energy, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But if I talk too fast for you, either slow me down on the recording, okay? Go to <laughs> 0.5 speed or it's okay. You don't, I don't have to be your answer for this particular issue. Find somebody else. And I'm okay with that because I want you to find what's best for you. And if that's me, awesome. If it's not, find somebody else, right? So I've learned that. Um, and another thing that, that I've really learned is, um, and this has been something that I've talked about a lot, is that we need connection. We cannot do this life alone if we want to achieve the things that, that we want. All right. You guys have this podcast. You're doing it together and it's great. You got a good dynamic going, right? You're building each other up, right? We're not tearing each other down. And I think that when you surround yourself uh, around people who lift you up, when you surround yourself around great people, you, you will find things that you didn't know existed that you can bring to life and create. And so those are just a few of the things that, that I've learned among the, the many other things, but those are a few for, for the sake of time. That's great. And I don't know if you noticed, uh, people accuse you of being a rapid speaker. So I get that all the time. So sure. <laughs> He's like the opposite. You guys are on the opposite end of the continuum. <laughs> this is going to be a completely gen tangential question, but I'm curious because you mentioned it and Kevin and I have been talking about it with a couple of our other guests who are in the music industry or entertainment industry. Is it more challenging for you when you are kind of face to face with someone maybe who is not liking you or there's not kind of a fit versus all the social media stuff and kind of like the more distant expressions of pe that people share on social media? So to make sure I understand the question, is it, is it better to have someone not like you in person or not like you on social media? Yeah, which one or both, you know, <laughs> drives you more crazy? <laughs> um, look, look, they, they both do. I guess the, the good thing, the good thing about social media is it's like quicker <laughs> and you can, you can, you can do whatever, but like, look, people on social media will send you messages. They will comment things and if you can't allow it to, to bother you, right? Like you, it happens. It's part of life. And, and I just start to view things. I always try to reframe things. So when I have someone that says that, it's like, oh, you know what? They're probably going through a really tough time. And this is their way of like getting their, getting their shit out, right? Getting their anger out of themselves. Like I try to just reframe it um, because if we take it too seriously and we take all of these things, people not liking us too personally, then we start to like question our value and our self-worth and our, and our sense of belonging. And that's, that's not a great rabbit hole to go down. And so um, social media sometimes is quicker and you can reframe that quicker in person uh, when someone doesn't like you there is that definitely that awkward feeling but also in person you know it's it's a little bit uh, 
if you don't like someone, just don't, they're, they're not going to intentionally be around you, right? But every once in a while, you'll get someone that heckles you from the crowd or that, that talks some nonsense to you. And for me, again, something that I'm learning and always evolving uh, as someone who's always go, go, go is being patient and processing. And um, if I'm not patient, and sometimes when people you know, say things that maybe are contradictory or that aren't what I want to hear, um, whether it's what I need to hear or not, or whether they're just being flat out disrespectful, uh, if I'm not patient and not processing, I can get defensive. And that defensiveness can sometimes then make me look like the, the disrespectful person or something. And um, so I try to be more intentional. I try to be more patient. I try to process it a little bit more. Um, and so that I can come back with a better response. And sometimes like people will call me out and there'll be bullshit and I'll be like, oh, wow. And in my mind, I wanted to go attack that, right? Like in my <laughs> mind, that's, that's my natural, that's the natural thing. But I say, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Uh, if you have any questions, please talk to me after. I'd love to hear more uh, about how you, why you feel that way. And I'll now invite them in. And most of the time, people forget why they're actually pissed at me in the first place or, or whatever. Now, this doesn't happen a ton. I'm, I'm not saying that a lot of people come up and say, do this, this, this. But it is something to think about. And I was trying to give examples that, that had come to mind from my experiences as a speaker uh, across the country and, and with people from across the globe. Well, it's funny. It reminds me of I, years ago, I saw Angela Duckworth speak and she was talking some random question that she got asked at the end that's kind of related to this. And she was talking about how someone had emailed her post uh, a speech that she gave and said that she came off really condescending. And her first <laughs> thought was like either delete or like go after this person in a reply. But instead she kind of did what you said about trying to be coachable, she actually asked, like, I really don't think, I'm not trying to come across that way. What, what in your vantage point made you think that I was condescending? And then she tried mm. to use it, right, to become better, make sure that she wasn't projecting that image. Yeah. So is there anything that we haven't asked you about that you would like to share with the listeners? Mm. I mean, you guys have asked some great questions. You've asked some, some great questions. Um, there's not really anything that, that comes to mind, um, other than, than really just encouraging people to, uh, create success on their own terms and pursue it, uh, to take action, to live with authentic connection and to enjoy the journey. And we always ask, and you might've actually just answered it, but what's the biggest takeaway from your journey? The biggest takeaway from my journey, uh, and I did, I did pretty much answer it, but I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I'll re recite it one more time. Is that it's the number one thing that we can do is to create our own definition of success based on what we want and desire in our own life and be willing to do whatever we have to do to make it happen while enjoying the journey in the process. Nice. Well, Jake, we appreciate you taking the time. I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for having me. Excited to connect with the listeners. Um, and anyone that, that takes a, a, a some time to listen to our episode. The Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled, all rights reserved.